Hi, thanks for listening to the Freedom Fellowship Podcast. This week we had some technical difficulties, so we're picking it up just a few minutes into the message. Uh, This week Cliff is speaking on Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Hope you enjoy it. Maybe the dude just had a heart attack, and and I will kind of answer that question. We know that the reaction of the church at the time was that God had done it. It said great fear seized the place. It wasn't like everyone said, dude, we need to all go out and get heart caths done. No, they said God killed this guy is what they were saying. And so, but, but and there's a lot of, one unanswered question I have is, why did they bury the guy before his wife even knew? Who, what, what kind of world does that happen where, hey, he died. Let's get him buried before his wife even knows he's dead. You know, if I die, I hope Sherry's going to know it before they stick me in the ground somewhere. And so there's a lot of these kind of weird questions, and you can look at it and say, you know, was it really wrong, that wrong? And, and so there, as we look at this, the, there's lots of things that we don't know all the answers to. And I'm not going to answer all that stuff today. So if you're here thinking, man, I'm going to know everything there is to know about Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 before I leave, we're not going to answer all that. And here's the reason why. One of those reasons is, in, in a lot of ways, some of those questions are unable to be answered this side of heaven. On this, this side of eternity, we, we just don't understand all there is to understand about this. And the other thing is, I think that's a good thing because we, our brains can't comprehend all of who God is. We have the Bible, which is an amazing tool God has given us. And the Bible is the best tool we've got for helping us understand His character and His heart and for understanding the way we're supposed to respond to all of that. But even with everything we have in the Bible, even with how smart God has, has made our brains able to comprehend all this stuff, He is still so big and so mighty and, and so eternal that we can't understand all there is to know about Him. So I think it's good that there are passages of Scripture like this and like several others in the Bible that when we read it, even when we get all kinds of understanding about it, there's still those unanswered questions. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Because there's got to be, there has to be some mystery about who God is. We can't be able to figure all of him out. He's too big for us to do that. But when, when I was in college, um, my favorite professor that I had in college was a religion professor. His name was Dr. Gary. And, and uh, I loved Dr. Gary. And one of the reasons I loved him was is because he was not afraid to say, I don't know, if you asked him a question. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to college and been in a college religion class, but in a college religion class, everybody sitting in there, they're all under the age of 21, and they all think they know everything. And so it was so uh, encouraging, and it was so uh, delightful to sit under the teaching of a guy who was in his 50s and had a doctorate and has probably forgotten more about the Bible than I'll ever know, and you would ask him a question about Scripture, and he'd say, I don't know. But then he would follow that up and say, but I can tell you what I do know. And then he'd begin to tell you things about the character and the truth of God. And I think when I read this scripture today, there's a lot of stuff that we just have to say, I don't know. But I can tell you what I do know. There's a couple of things that when I read this that I do know to be true. And I think there's two really big things that we can learn as we look at these ten verses of scripture and this story that happened in the, in the, uh, in the early church. And, and here's two things. The first one is this. God cares about money. God cares about money. Some of y'all that moved down front are thinking, this is why I was sitting in the back. Now you're going to start talking about money. 
But here's the deal. God cares about money. And and maybe I should even rephrase that to say, God cares about how we use our money. He really, really cares about how we use our money. And I think that if you've spent any time in church, you spend any time reading the Bible, you know that to be true in your head. We know that that's true in our head, but we don't practically live that out like we should. That's one of those things that, yeah, that's true, but, but my checkbook might not reflect that. But I know God cares about how, how I use my money. The Bible has so much to teach us about the proper use of money. In fact, people who count such things will tell you that Jesus talked more about the proper use of money than he did about heaven. Did you realize that? That when Jesus was on earth and he's teaching people, he thought it was more important to talk about the proper use of money than it was about what heaven is going to be like. That's how important it is for us to to know what God thinks about money and for us to to see that as a serious situation. When When I read this story about Ananias and Sapphira, I think that they are guilty of doing the same thing that we're guilty of doing oftentimes, and that is that they didn't see this, this decision they made about money as a spiritual decision. They separated their money decisions from their spiritual decisions. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, hey, that's just business. If you're going to run a business, that's the way you've got to do it. That is separating your money decisions from your spiritual decisions. And that's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did here. Ananias, he said... I'm going to keep a little bit of this money for myself. And he probably never even thought to consider what that meant or to pray about it. I'll give you a practical example from my own life of a time when I did this. And and I've shared this story before in in another message. So you might have heard it before, but it's uh, it's, all of it's true. This is not one of those preacher stories where you hear someone else tell it and then you just insert your own information. This is the true deal. Um, Summer of 2005... Is that when? Yeah, summer of 2005 or four. I don't know. Before we started this church, summer of 2004, June of 2004, we're all loaded up to go to the beach. We load up our van and, you know, and it's stacked to the top and you can't see out the sides and you're driving all the way to the beach with, with, you know, your blind spots messed up, but you don't care. You're going to the beach. And so we're all loaded up. We pass through the, uh, the hopping town of Aner, South Carolina. And right after we pass Gallivant's Ferry, you know where Gallivant's Ferry is, those of you who have driven to the beach your whole life, all of a sudden this van that we're in, it starts acting crazy and it cuts off and we have to pull off on the side of the road. Have to get everything out, have to have the van towed to a dealership, it's, it's messed up bad. We go to the place we're staying with, with my parents and my sister and brother-in-law and all their kids and um, all this kind of stuff, so I... You know, I can't enjoy the beach on Sunday and Monday because I'm worried about this van. I get a call on Tuesday from the dealership and says, well, we've looked at your vehicle and the motor is completely shot. It's going to cost about $3,000 to fix it. And I was like, man, $3,000. And see, we had already replaced the transmission on this van, and so then we were kind of aggravated with it and all this stuff. And I was like, man, I ain't putting no $3,000 in this old van and all this stuff. So we go down, me and Sherry, we go down to the dealership. And instead of saying, hey, fix that $3,000 engine and just replace it and we'll drive the old van home, we said, hey, look at these used cars that are only a year old. And we started walking around that lot and looking, and there was this Jeep 
Grand Cherokee, only one year or two years old. I think it was only one year old. And like a heavenly light from heaven, you know, shone down on it. And in my mind, I started thinking, man, that thing won't break down on the way home. And the AC's good. And it's even got a sunroof that we can open up and let our hair blow in the wind. And all this kind of stuff. Even though my wife doesn't ever want her hair to blow in the wind. But I thought. And so, uh, so here's the deal. That Jeep cost $22,000. And in my mind, here's the process that I went through in making the decision. I said, okay, this is an old van. We've already put money into it. I'm going to have to put more money into it. And, you know, you don't want to put money into an old vehicle. I got an equity line on the house, so it's not like I got to go get a loan. I can just write the check for this sucker and walk out of here and it's mine. So in what universe does an intelligent person like me say, you have a chance to spend 3000 Now, here's the other thing. Keep in mind, we had no debt at this time other than our house, zero debt. In what universe does a person with no debt say, I could either go into $3,000 worth of debt and still drive home from the beach, or I could go into $22,000 worth of debt and drive home from the beach. I'll tell you what universe, my universe, because I said, keep that old nasty van, we're going to buy this Jeep right here. And I think they actually gave us $1,000 for the van, so then it was only $21,000, which that made it a lot better, right? But here's the deal. Now, here I am, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ, been a follower of Jesus since I was eight years old. I'm a, I'm a man who ser- has served on staff of church for, for over 20 years. I'm a pastor of a church. And through that whole decision, you know how many times that I led my wife as the spiritual leader of my family? You know how many times that I led my wife and my family to pray about that decision? Not once. I didn't pray about it at all. I didn't open up the scripture and say, what does God say about the proper use of money and about going into debt. I didn't look at any of that. I just said, let me make this decision in a money fashion, which is I, got, I can think I can make the payments, I got the way that I can finance it, and I'm gonna, I really want this Jeep. And that's how I did it. It had nothing to do with spiritual issues. And we do the same thing every day about our money. We make our decisions based on a lot of practical factors, and it's not on anything spiritual. We don't pray about it. We don't, we don't look at what the Scripture says. We don't do any of that stuff. For us, it is all about money, and it's not about doing what we're supposed to do spiritually. See, money to God is about more than the bottom line, and it's about more than balance sheets. For, for God, money is about what the desires of our heart are, is versus the desires of His heart, and it's about who we trust whether we trust Him to provide for us or whether we are really trusting in ourselves to provide for ourselves. For Ananias and Sapphira, they lost the, the, the reality of the fact that God cares about money and that we have to make our decisions about money because they are spiritual decisions. We have to seek God's wisdom and seek God's heart before we do those things. And we do the same thing. I've done it and you've done it. When, um, when we live in America, um, I think many of us, or all of us really here as Americans, we, we are in the same situation that Ananias and Sapphira were in. See, Ananias and Sapphira had money. They didn't have to worry about where their money was coming from. God had, had blessed them with a piece of land. They were able to sell it, and they had money. 
And, and so for them, the issue wasn't whether or not they had money. The issue was how they were going to use their money. And for us in America, it's the same way. The issue isn't whether or not we have money. We've all got money. I know some of you are saying, man, you ain't seen my checkbook. You got money. The issue isn't whether or not you've got money. It's how you're using that money. It's how I'm using my money. It's kind of like um, uh, I was one time I was at a place and there was a, a, a girls volleyball team practicing. And, um, and while they were practicing there, there was, there was a, a lady who was, it was obvious she was the coach. She was uh, tall and thin. She was young. And she was athletic looking. And you could tell, oh, that's the coach. She was older than the rest of them. And then there was another woman who was helping. And the best way that you could describe how she looked would be circular. All right? That's how she looked. And uh, she was not tall, but she was wide. And so when I first saw them, I thought, okay, that's the coach. This is the coach, the, the, the tall, thin one. And this is, is not a coach. She's like a mom just helping out. I mean, if, if these two ladies had walked down the street next to each other, it would have looked like the number 10 going down the street. That's, what, that's the way it looked. And so I'm, I'm looking at that. And here's the thing, though. The lady, who, the lady who, when you look at her, you think she's just out there helping out. She's just a mom helping kind of a thing. She, she gets half the team and takes them to another net, and she's teaching them how to to dig out a, a serve, you know, you, how you do, and, and the serve's coming down hard, and you dig it out. And the mother, the, or I assume she was somebody's mother, the, the, the circular woman, she, she starts delivering these overhand serves over the net, I mean, just firing them in there one after the other. And all of a sudden, it hit me. She's got volleyball skills. She's just as skilled as the other girl, but the difference is, is that she's gotten out of shape over the years. There was probably a time in her life when she was the best volleyball player on whatever team she played on. But over the years, she's allowed herself to, to get out of shape. And see, for us in America, dealing with our finances, it's the same way. We've got the assets. We've got the, the, the money on hand. But we've allowed ourselves to financially get all out of shape. We've allowed ourselves to, to, to take on more debt than, than we should and to spend more than we've got and to, you know, all this kind of stuff and to buy things we don't need. And, and we've got to begin to re realize that God cares about money just like he cared about the money that Ananias and Sapphira gave or did not give to the church. He cares about our money, the money that we're either giving or not giving to our church and, and to help other people. And, and money is a spiritual issue. Now, that's, that's the obvious thing that when we look at this scripture that we see. That's kind of like the low-hanging fruit. God cares about money. But there's an even bigger issue, I think, in these ten verses. And that is this. God cares about integrity. God cares about integrity. You know what integrity is, right? That's who you, who you really are. And, and, and living, like you really, living like the person that you really are when nobody's looking. That's what integrity is. There's a, there's a clue in these 10 verses that tells us that this, this story is about more than money, that it's also about integrity. Look at verse 2. It says this. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for, them, for himself, but he brought the rest and, say this part with me, put it at the apostles' feet. Say that again. Put it at the apostles' feet. Now, why is that important? Well, look back at Acts chapter 4, the, the, just the verses right before it. If you've got your Bibles, if not, look up on the screen. 
Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read starting with verse 32. This is what just happened. It says this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and, say it again with me, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and, say it one more time, put it at the apostles' feet. It was the practice of the early church that if you came into some money, that you weren't, it's not your, it's not your regular paycheck. You inherited a piece of land or, or you had a barn and you decided, I'm going to sell this barn. That it was the practice of the early church that if you got that money, if if Lord led you to, if you wanted to give 100% of that, not 90%, not 75%, but 100%, you wanted to give all of it from what you got, what God has blessed you with, then you would take that money and you would lay it at the apostles' feet. It was kind of a public demonstration of what you were giving. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that that the whole church was around, but the apostles were there. And they knew when you were bringing this, okay, Cliff is laying this at our feet so we know that what's in that envelope is everything that he earned from selling that piece of property. That's what the, that's what, that's what the practice of the day was. And so when you see at the end of chapter 4, when it talks about Barnabas sold a field he brought and put it at the apostles' feet. And then the first verse of chapter 5 says this, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. It's making the connection here that what Ananias and Sapphira were doing, they were doing the exact same thing that everyone else had done. But the difference in what Ananias and Sapphira did is that they came forward and they said, here, we're putting this at your feet as if this is everything we got, but knowing in their hearts that they had already pulled back some of that money for themselves. See, it wasn't just a money issue, it was an integrity issue. For Ananias and Sapphira, it was an issue of, we want you to think that we're a lot more spiritual than we really are. We want you to think that we're given 100% of this, but we're not given 100%. Because see, if they had held back some of the money for themselves, that part wasn't a sin. You can see that in the, look at verse 4. Uh, yeah, look at verse 4. When Peter comes to him and he says, didn't, it, didn't this land, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? But what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. He says, this money was at your disposal, Ananias. You could decide what you wanted to do with it. God blessed you with it. Now it was your decision. You could either keep it all, you could give it all, you could keep some for yourself and give some away. But what he decided to do with it was, he wanted to give most of it away or some of it away but he wanted everybody to think that he gave all of it away. See, the fact that, that he kept some money for himself, that's not the worst part of the story. The worst part of the story is that he kept some for himself, but then presented it as if he was giving it all away. And we don't even, and, and when we look at that, we think, man, is that really that bad, Cliff? Because we don't even, it doesn't even tell us that he kept most of the money. In fact, he might have given most of the money to the apostles. He might have given 90% and just kept 10% for himself. 
But the issue wasn't the amount that he kept or the, kept or the fact that he kept some. The issue was that he wanted people to think that he gave it all. He brought it to the apostles to say, look at how spiritual I am. You know Barnabas? I'm just as good as him. Look at this. In fact, my field got more than Barnabas's field got. I mean, we don't know that. But that could have been what was going on in his heart. And I think it's, I think it's also interesting that, that we can tell that integrity was the big issue when you look at the fact that Sapphira got taken out as well, that God just decided, I'm going to smote you too, like we talked about last week, smoting. Because, because in those days, chances are Sapphira had nothing to do with the decision about the money. I mean, back in those days, it was, you know, kind of the way it's supposed to be. No, I'm just kidding. Back in those days, I'm just kidding, ladies. I really am. Sherry will get me for that later. But uh, back in those days, the men made the money, and they did, made all the decisions. The women had nothing to do with that stuff. But when Sapphira comes, she knew the information. It says that with his wife's full knowledge, with his wife's full knowledge that he kept back part of the money for himself. And so when, when she shows up and they ask her, she had a chance. She had an opportunity to come clean. But she participated in the lack of integrity just as much as Ananias did by saying, yeah, that's what we got. Now, she didn't know that her husband was already dead and buried in the ground six feet under, and she didn't even get to go to the funeral. But that was what happened. See, it was not just about money, but it was also about integrity. And here's the deal about integrity. If we live our lives with a lack of integrity, it doesn't change God's plans. If, you're, if, you, are, if you are putting yourself out there to be someone that you're really not, you're not fooling God. So if I'm, if I'm the pastor of this church and I'm putting myself forward as being somebody that I'm not, God is not looking down from heaven and saying, man, I had big plans for Freedom Fellowship, but... It just came to my attention that Cliff is really not the person he claims to be. I had no idea. Now I can't do the things I wanted to do. No, God knows. God knows if you're living with a lack of integrity. Who it hurts when you live in a, with a lack of integrity? The person it hurts the most is yourself. If I'm living with a lack of integrity, it hurts me the most. The reason why is, is because I begin to fool myself into thinking that I'm something that I'm not. I think I'm fooling others, and then I can even begin to fool myself. And so then, when, when it becomes time to, to figure out who it is that God wants me to be and ways He wants me to grow, I don't even consider those areas because I fooled myself into thinking I'm better than I really am. And so in some ways, it's almost like that I'm rejecting part of the grace of God. God, I know that you could forgive me for this. I know that you have grace in your heart that you could give me for this situation, but I got that part under control when I really don't. The, uh, the place that I exercise uh, at is a, is a, is a church, and, and they have a walking track that goes on the top of the gym, and it's a, it's a place that has two full basketball courts. And so it's a big walking track, and I'm up there walking and trying to be less fat, and, and so I'm up there doing that. And, uh, and I'm up there, and there's these guys down at the other end of the gym as I'm way down at this end of the walking track, and I see them, they're dunking on this basketball goal. They're going up and like reverse dunks and all this stuff, and I'm looking at that, and I say, man. Well, then I get over there, and I realize that they're dunking on a nine-foot rim. It might even have been an eight-and-a-half-foot rim. And I'm going to just tell you right now, because I'm one of them, I know. There ain't nothing more pathetic than, you know, low-jumping, slow-white dudes dunking on a lowered rim. That's just the, that's the most pathetic thing you've ever seen. Guys, if you're like me, just give it up. We ain't never going to be able to dunk. 
just learn to rebound and shoot the outside shot. But, but he, you know, they're over there just throwing down, dunking all this stuff and acting like, and they were just acting like they were all big and bad and this kind of deal. And it, I thought to myself, I thought, you know, it would be funny is if they played and just practiced on a goal like that all the time and then one day went like down to, you know, inner city Greenville somewhere and got on a, a blacktop and decided to play against some guys on a 10-foot rim, they would have to come to the reality real quick that they ain't very good at basketball. But they would be fooling themselves the whole time if they continued to play on that lowered rim. And see, when we live our lives with a lack of integrity, when we constantly put ourselves forward as being something that we're not, we're fooling ourselves and there's going to come a time when the reality is going to come down on us in a way that we don't even want to imagine. And that's what happened here for Ananias and Sapphira. Chances are this wasn't the first time that Ananias tried to make himself look more spiritual than he really was. That's, that's usually not something you just kind of all of a sudden wake up one day and do. When you live with a lack of integrity, it becomes a part of your lifestyle. And it becomes a thing that you do daily and daily and daily. And finally, you've built up this image so much that you feel like it's impossible to come clean about who you are. You feel like it's impossible even to come clean to God about who you are. And so one day, the reality of it comes crashing down, and that's what happened to Ananias that day. And for him, the reality that came crashing down was that he's no longer here. God took him out. I'm not saying God's going to take you out. He might. I don't know. God's still consistent. God of Acts 5 is still the God of 2011. But, the re but what will happen, whether God takes you out or not, you're going to have to deal with the fact one day, if you're living with a lack of integrity, you're going to have to deal with the fact one day that you're not the person you've claimed to be. In verse 2, there's a, a, a key word in verse 2. And it says this, Acts 5.2. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. Here's the key word, but. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the disciples' feet, the apostles' feet. See, everything before the but was okay. It was all the stuff after the but that caused the problem. Before the but, that was who Ananias really was. He was a guy who he made some money and he wanted to give some to the church, but he didn't want to give all to the church. And there was nothing wrong with that. That was okay. The problems came after the word but. Because then it went from, this is who Ananias really was. He was the guy who made some money, wanted to keep some, but he wanted to give some to the church. After the but, it was, this is who Ananias wanted everyone to think that he was. He was a guy just like Barnabas and just like the other ones who would bring the money and lay it at the apostles' feet. Before the but was honesty. Afterwards was deception. Before it was integrity. Afterwards was a lack of integrity. And God cares about our integrity. God cares about the fact that we need to live in the dark the same way we do in the light. When we're in private, we need to be the same person we are in public. In verse 2, I thought about if we were to kind of insert our own situations in verse 2. Maybe it would, the, the verse would look something like this. Verse 2, let me read it one more time so you know what it says. It says, with his wife's full knowledge, he get, kept back part of the money for himself, 
but he brought the rest and he put it at the, the apostles' feet. What if it said this? Maybe this would be your situation or my situation. It said this, with his wife's full knowledge, he gave significantly less than the 10% that Scripture requires, but he accepted a position of leadership in his church anyway. Or with his wife's full knowledge, he rarely read the Scripture anymore, but he made sure that he answered a lot of questions in life group so people would think he was really spiritual. Or with her husband's full knowledge, she loved to gossip and be the first one to share bad news about someone, but she made sure that she asked people how she could pray for them so they would think she really cared. Or with her friend's full knowledge, she partied hard every Friday night after football games and got drunk, but she made sure that she never missed FCA so the teachers at her school would think that she was a good Christian girl. You can insert any situation you want to in there. But the fact is, if there's anything in our lives that we're trying to, to hide and to push to the back and, and to, to keep hidden so that, so that people won't know the truth about who we are, we're hurting ourselves. And we're hurting our relationship with Jesus. Because who we are when we think no one is watching is who we really are. That's who we really are. When you're all by yourself and no one's around and you log on to the computer and you pull up that website, that's who you really are. When, when you, you think no one's listening and you whisper in the ear of somebody and you talk bad about that person who thinks you're your friend, that's who you really are. And if we're not realistic about that and we don't allow God to deal with that, then we're living with a lack of integrity. And we're going to miss out on what it is that He wants for our lives. See, the good news is that even though Ananias was struck dead, his name means God is gracious, and God is gracious. God loves us anyway. He loves us when we lie about who we are. He loves us when we lie about our money. He loves us when we don't tithe. He loves us when we do tithe. God loves us. And you can come today and be honest, maybe for the first time in your life, about who you are. And maybe you need to, maybe you need to deal with your giving today. Maybe for you it is about money like it was for Ananias and Sapphira. Maybe it's not about money at all, but it's about your marriage or, your, or the way you deal with your kids or whatever it might be or the, the way you speak to your parents. But one way or the other, you're living a life that doesn't have integrity. So this is what I want us to do. I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to ask our staff members that are in here to, to come down and stand at the front. And um, maybe uh, if, if a couple of our elders, if you're in here, a couple of y'all come down here too. Just maybe two of you. Don't matter me. And uh, they're going to be down here. And these guys are going to be here to pray with you. Now, you might say, hey, Cliff, are you saying that this lack of integrity thing, i got to come down and i got to confess all this stuff to one of these guys? You can if you want to. I'm not saying that's what you have to do, but you need to confess it to God. And maybe for you, confessing to one of these guys is going to do some good for you. You know, the Scripture says confess your sins one to another. That's up to you. But either way, you need to get it right with God. And so what we're going to do, we're going to have a time. Sherry's going to continue to play. And, and it's time for all of us to be honest about who we are. You know, I know that you're not perfect. Good gracious, I'm certainly not perfect. Far, far from it. So let's all be honest about who we are. And if you need to come down here and you just want to kneel down or lay down 
or stand at the front with your hands raised or grab one of these guys and say, please pray for me. Or maybe you need to come down and you say, one of the ways that I lack integrity is I come here every week and act like I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm really not. I'm not a Christian and I need to know him. So so you come down as Sherry continues to play. And uh, don't wait. Stand up where you are and you, you walk down there.